we ended last week kind of saying that we will never delight in God's word if we don't obey God's word. Um, we saw throughout the whole Psalm 119, which we're just going to finish up um, considering tonight, we saw all these words the psalmist used to describe oh, we obey God's word, and it's that obedience that seems to give the psalmist the delight in God's word. And all these words, I keep your commands, I walk in your ways, I observe, I don't forsake, I, don't, I, I turn my feet to, he says, I don't turn aside from, I don't stray from, I don't swerve, I do your word, I choose your word. All these words saying I obey, I keep it. And that's what, um, that's how he, I believe, he finds his desire for God's word is in keeping it. We also said you won't keep it if you don't know it. And so we saw a bunch of different synonyms for knowing God's word. Meditate was a big one. We meditate on it. I fix my eyes on your word. I learn it. I seek it. I store it up. I set it before me. I cling to it. I think about it. I don't forget it. I consider it. I know it. All these words um, that we know God's word. And so we kind of said God will enlarge our hearts in desire for his word as we know it and as we keep it. Um, and I don't think we can expect a desire for God's word if, if we don't do those things. Um, a couple weeks before that, we saw the benefits of God's word in our life, a few of them. One, that it gives us light. God's word shows us where to walk in goodness. It gives, it gives us freedom so that we, we aren't restricted by walking in sinfulness, but we actually have a, a broad path that we get to walk in. God's word gives us hope. Um, so we aren't crushed by the pressure of the enemies and the world around us because we have his promises to hope in. There's one more kind of facet of God's word that I think we have to bring special attention to and I wanted to end with. And it's a, it's a benefit of God's word, you could say, that is mentioned more than any of these other uh, benefits that we've talked about. Um, I don't know if you noticed that last week as we were reading through Psalm 119, but do you guys remember, like, what's this benefit of the word of God that stuck out over and over that we haven't really talked much about so far? You guys know any ideas? Okay, it's life. God's word brings life. It says it, I think, almost 20 times. It, said, it talks about the life that God's word gives. And um, some of the things it says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Behold, I long for your precepts. So that's just you know one of those synonyms for God's commands, his, his word, his revelation. In your righteousness, give me life, he says. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life, he says in verse 93. So he, he, he talks a lot, or he mentioned several different verses, he talks a lot about life and the life that God's word brings to him. And I want to kind of explore and dig into a little bit what does what's life mean? What does it mean that God's word gives us life? Because I don't want to like stick in just the vagueness of, oh yeah, I just kind of feel energized. But like, what, what is that? What are the meanings of finding life in God's word? Because the psalmist seems to need 
God's word for life. It's it's almost like I'm gonna die if I don't have your word. It's kind of the feeling that you get as you read all those statements of his. He says in verse 107, I'm severely afflicted. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. So what's the life? What's the life that God provides? That's what I want to look at. I think um, sometimes as New Testament believers, when we hear the word life, we might think of eternal life. That's a a common uh, theme and understanding of life that we might talk about. Uh, which is good and right. And so I wonder, is, is eternal life what the psalmist is finding in God's word when he writes that his word gives him life? Um, I want to tell you that Old Testament believers, at, at the time that, that this psalm was written, believers in Yahweh, God, they did have some concept of the, of the afterlife, or there's going to be something after I die. Um, as Honestly, every culture ever, anywhere, does. There's always a concept of, of some sort of afterlife. I think because, like Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, uh, God has put eternity into the heart of mankind, I think it says. And it's just something that we, ha- we innately, as, as societies, kind of know. I think the atheist suppresses that intuitive, innate, kind of understanding of of eternality of of life. Um, But Old Testament believers didn't quite have the the clear picture of eternal life that we have, now that we have the New Testament and all of of the people that have written now uh, in the New Testament, and Jesus and his resurrection, and and we have a lot more uh, insight into what happens after we die and what eternal life is even like. You know, it might seem kind of foggy to you. We have a lot more to go on than somebody in Old Testament Israel. Um, And I believe for the Old Testament Israelite, like the writer of this psalm, the most apparent need for life was actually revolving more around our physical life here on this earth. Um, And so to kind of understand that I want to look back in scripture for just a minute. I'm going to bounce all around. You're welcome to, to turn to these passages or just write them down. Um, maybe I'll tell you a couple specifically to turn to. In fact, why don't you turn to Deuteronomy 30? That's the first place we're going to go. Um, we're going to get into this as we uh, read through the, the Bible starting in a week, which we'll talk about more in a little bit. Um, but I mean, you guys have varying degrees of knowledge of this, but Israel had been given, in the book of Exodus, they'd been given the word of God, you could say. The the Ten Commandments, all of the law was given to Moses and given to people. They they have his commandments, they have his law. At Mount Sinai, they're given it. And then they, of course, reject Israel. This, this word of God, this law. And for that rejection, it meant they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Right? And an entire generation, because they have decided we're not going to follow what God says, an entire generation dies off in the wilderness um, because they rejected God's delivered word to them. Um, after that, Israel is kind of standing at the gates of the promised land, or they're, they're about to go into the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy, and the law that had been delivered 
40 years earlier, is being kind of reiterated and re-spoken by Moses to the people, and the covenant is being renewed. And the Lord says this in Deuteronomy 30, we'll look at verses 15 through 20. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord or the word of God, your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, or in other words, you reject my words, that are drawn to, away to worship of other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Listen to what he says. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land of the Lord, swore to your fathers, that, uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So, this is the type of thing the psalmist might have in mind when he would hear the term or think of this idea of God's word brings life. The Israelites actually believed that if you, if, if you keep the words and the commands that God has delivered, it will preserve your life. Like, this, this life, it will be long. Um, we also read at several different places, I think, about this old covenant. Um, specifically, I'll read 1 1 Kings 3.14. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, then I will lengthen your days, he says. Um, God says... And even if you think about all of the old covenant laws and like all of the cleanliness that was required among God's people, yes, that tells us about what is what is needed to be in the presence of a pure, holy God. But on the other hand, it also is protecting Israel from disease and death. When he says, hey, if you touch, you know, this sick person or if you touch this dead thing or whatever, then you have to go outside of the camp for this many days and you have to wash yourself. He's, he's preserving their lives, actually. They're not just random things that they have to do, but their life is being preserved through that. And so if you can kind of like hear that perspective, just considering this, this side of, of, of life here on this earth, and, and hear what the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 154, for example, he says, plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. God, you, you told me that you would bless for obedience and that you would give long life for obedience so will you come through on that promise or verse 116 uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope the hope that he's talking about I don't think is necessarily just this hope of eternal life through salvation in Jesus Christ but the hope that he's talking about is, is this hope that God will preserve his life and he'll uphold his, his promise that was given um, to to the Israelites. Turn off my. Um, Psalm 119, 107. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. As I obey your commands, God, 
take away this present earthly affliction. You, you, you said to our people that that would be the case if we follow in your word. So it's kind of maybe a little more basic understanding of life. But I think that's, that's partly what this psalmist is thinking when he talks about the life that God's word brings. God's word is life. And practically, walking in obedience to God's word actually produces some longevity of life. Now, there's, there's a unique, special promise to the Israelites that obeying God's commands as a people would necessarily produce this blessing and long life. Um, it was a specific promise by God to them. But we can also see and kind of gather that to some extent we see, we see the truth of how that even plays out in our own lives. We look at the Proverbs, and the Proverbs we accept you know, as kind of some general principles of life, and they're not just restricted, well, this is just an Old Testament thing necessarily, but this is generally how the course of life goes down. And uh, in Proverbs 3 it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Or the fear of the Lord prolongs life. There's kind of this idea that as we, as we keep the word of God, it is, the, it is the, the best way to live, and it actually preserves our, our actual like, physical lives here. Like put, we'll talk about eternal life in a little bit. But maybe like picture the person that is walking in the commandments of God by being free of anxiety. Um, they're walking in God's commands by having regular rest in their life. They're caring for the resources that God gives them, including their health. They're living at peace with other people. If you imagine that person, that's a healthy person that even is physiologically, you know, maybe affected by that to have some sort of long life. Um, even in the New Testament, Paul talks about, in Ephesians 6, that children should obey their parents, and, and he quotes from the Old Testament, honor your father and your mother, and Paul says, for this, in kind of parentheses, this is the first commandment with a promise, he says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So um, he's kind of using that to, I mean, even in the New Testament, that there's just this kind of idea that life goes along with um, the 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 word of God and commandments of the Lord and walking in this. So, practically, walking in obedience to God's word actually produces, generally, longevity of life. God's word is life. But there's more to learn than that. And that's not, obviously, always the case with us. There's more, I think, that the psalmist understands about God's word. So, let me ask you all this. Um, what is needed? What would you all say are the basic needs to carry on physical life. We talked about it a few weeks ago to some extent, but what do we need to live? Food. Food, yeah, that's Clothing. maybe the most obvious. Clothing. Shelter. Yeah. What's that? Shelter. Shelter, okay. Any, any other? Water. Sleep. Water. Sleep or rest, Sleep. yeah. Yeah. So. Favorite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we forget we need it, but we do. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know that pyramid in psychology? <laughs> the very baseline level of our physiological needs 
he'll say are food and water and warmth, which I think goes along with probably clothes and shelter. Like you can't, if, if you don't have the warmth of the sunlight, then you can't live. And uh, rest, I think, is on there, which is kind of the sleep idea. But so, the, yeah, these basic, lowest level physiological needs. We even talked in our uh, stewardship series that Jesus says what we need in Matthew 6. Um, did I put it down here? Yeah, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So at least our needs are eating, drinking, and clothes, according you know, to what Jesus says there. In order to live. So life is sustained by having this. I wonder, like, where is God's word in that list? Because the psalmist seems to be like, I'm, I'm going to die if I don't have God's word. I think trust is there. What's that? Trust. Trust? Yes. yes. So, at, yeah, as you go up, kind of, I mean, just on a psychological level, I guess, you go up to um, esteem needs and, and security and safety needs and all these other needs. Um, potentially, somebody can continue going on living if they, if they don't have that, but just kind of the base level. But, yeah, what about, like, am I going to die if I don't have the word of God? Is the psalmist going to die? Yes. I don't think immediately that you're gonna die. Okay. You're gonna be, you're gonna start yeah. missing all that goodness, and you're gonna start reflecting all the badness of the world. Okay. And you. Yeah, you're talking about the quality of life. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. What I want to say is, I think we will physically die if we don't have God's word, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, in Exodus. 16, the Israelites are complaining uh, to Moses and Aaron, and they say, you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, starving to death. You all know that God actually let them go hungry? That was part of his plan. And then how did they end up eating in the wilderness? Yeah, the, the manna, this this flake-like substance that's sweet and kind of bread-like that falls along on the ground. Um, and and the manna is, is provided by God. So in Deuteronomy 8.3, um, Moses says this to the people. I think it's Moses. He says, God humbled you. God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, this isn't a denial that bread is needed to live. He doesn't live by bread alone. But it just adds another element to what it takes to live. It's bread and every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God was showing Israel that even in their very provision of the food they needed, it was because God said it would happen. He gave his, his word and he said, this is how I'm going to provide food for you, and that's how they were provided for. Even the verse that we read from in Matthew that said, here are your needs, what you eat and what you drink and what you wear, that is 
the, the purpose of that passage is to say that God provides these things. You need God even more than you need those basic provisions of life. So ultimately, it's not even the food that gives us life, but it's God's word that gives the food that gives us life. So Genesis 1.30 says, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So God's word created the food, God's word created your life, and you don't get the food that you need for your life if his word hadn't created it. So all of life, including the food that we have, is dependent on God's decision and his determination through his word to, to feed our hunger. So not only does obedience to God's word practically kind of maybe lengthen our, our lives, but God's word is fundamentally the the source of our life. Not food, not oxygen, not water and, and warmth. But it's this, God's word is the source of our life. Um, Genesis 1.24, God said, these are God's words, let the earth bring forth living creatures, and it was so. Life doesn't exist apart from God's word speaking it into existence and keeping it going. Like Maslow's hierarchy should have a one level below underneath the physiological <laughs> needs, um, below the safety needs and the security needs and the, the um, esteem needs, and it should be existence needs, the word of God, <laughs> to call it into existence. So God speaks life into existence and everything needed to sustain life. Hebrews um, says that the universe is upheld by the word of his power. Um, Mary Beth and I, at some point, kind of early on in our marriage, we decided that before our meals, like dinner time, that we weren't going to pray, like was is supposed to be a lot of Christians' tradition to do. And before you cast stones at me, um, I... I think the reasoning behind it was we didn't we we had found that when we were praying, dear Lord, thanks for the food, rub a dub dub, thanks for the grub, whatever we said, Amen. Was not it, it wasn't something that we were actually meaning. It was just some routine that we were going through, and it was just kind of empty words we determined. So we're like, well, let's not do that. Let's let's have other times that we pray and actually mean it. Um, but I think how cool is it that. And we don't practice that anymore. We try to um, pray now. But how cool is it that universally kind of a practice of Christians is to pray before a meal kind of in recognition that I only have this food because God has determined that I have this food. Um, and we're giving thanks to God for that. It's not just, oh, good, I have all the stuff that I need, but, oh, God actually provided the stuff that I need. My dad would always say, who wants to give thanks? I like that term, like we're just giving thanks for what we have um, in God's provision for us. Our life is upheld by God commanding how we will be provided for. Um, I think it's really good to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread in recognition that it only comes from him. So, all right. Practically, walking in obedience to God's word actually produces a longevity of life. Foundationally, God's word is the source of life itself. Life is created and sustained by the word of God. God's word is life. 
But all of this is kind of speaking to our physical existence, right? Our, our life here on Earth. Well, what else do we know that we have to deal with? What kind of life? Eternal life. Like, we have more even than just this life as it is to think about. So I want to go back uh, to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were told how to have life in God's commands. And the life that he offered to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden wasn't just, here's how you can stay along, stay alive for a really long time, but they could have actually had eternal life. If you remember, we've, we talk a lot about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there's another tree, the tree of what? Life that they they could have eaten from. That was one of the open trees to their that they could have eaten from. But um, instead, like God gives this. Here's here's my command. Here's my word. My life giving. My life sustaining word. Don't eat of that one tree. Eat of any other tree that you want, including the tree that gives eternal life. They choose to reject God's life giving, life preserving word, and the result is. Um, Part of it we read in Genesis 3:19. It says, "By the he tells Adam, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. It's going to be hard now to sustain your life to get the things that you need till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." So rejecting God's words, rejecting His commandments, is death, and we see it's. It's death, we're talking death eternally, or, or life eternal that they're missing out on because of that. To dust you shall return. Now watch this. God formed man, uh, Genesis 2-7 says, from the dust of the ground. What does he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Man rejects God's word or his commands, so he's going to return now instead to that dust we see in 3.19. Well, where does God's merciful breath of life come again now? Where else, I look through the scriptures, we see a couple different things, but where else do we see the breath of God but one place in 2 Timothy 3.16 has all new meaning as I consider it now, all scripture is breathed out by God. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active. Um, Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Philippians 2.16, Paul says that we hold fast to the word of life. And so our psalmist says in Psalm 119.25, my soul clings to the dust Give me life according to your word. So you guys see how the rejection of, of God's word is what brings on death, but then somehow in his word we find life again. God's word kind of reaches into our dead lives and is life to us, even eternal life. Um, I think it's no wonder that the, the word of God is spoken of like food sometimes in the Bible. Kind of this most basic necessity of life that we have. That's the first thing that was mentioned. It's food. We need food for life. Um, but with God's word, he goes beyond creating and preserving this life, and he gives us spiritual sustenance. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the Father, or to do his word. 
Ezekiel, Jeremiah, John all talk about eating God's words. Not just because God's word is what provides us with life and speaks our, our bread and the physical things that we need into existence and preserves our life like actual food, but God's word is life to our souls. I want to make one more, I think, really important connection. Uh, I hope this is a connection. Um, what else is spoken of figuratively in the Bible um, that we can eat for life? Communion? Okay, so Jesus. Jesus, yeah. So um, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, um, kind of showing his word is powerful to create what is needed to sustain life in the fish and the loaves, if you know the story. Um, the people come looking for Jesus, and he says to them, Do not work for the food that perishes. That's kind of what we've been talking about, that kind of food. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And a bit later, he says, he gets more direct. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Jesus, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, Jesus isn't talking about physical sustenance anymore. He's not talking about preserving our life or even the existence of, of life here, but spiritually and eternally. He goes on to an uncomfortable level of talking about how we eat of him the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life is the, the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews, they disputed, they didn't like it. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, listen how many times he says this, whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so, here it is again, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So, he said it like seven times. Yeah, it's a ton. And, and, and people don't like it, and they're like, this is, this is too much. And that's when we read later, that shortly after that, that many of the disciples decided to not follow Jesus anymore. But I, I, I pause here, and I think, well, wait a second. Is, is Jesus the bread that gives eternal life? Or is the word of God the, the bread of eternal life? And I think the connection is found in John 1, kind of ties it all together. You guys have heard this, um, but it says, in the beginning was 
the Word. And who's the Word talking about? But Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He, so it's a person, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, in Christ, the Word, who John is calling the Word, was life, it says. I don't know how I'm getting called to turn this on. Okay. Oh, it's my boss, so it rings through the do not disturb. Um, in the word of God, Christ was life. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the word of God of God, so much that John refers to him as the Word. In his epistle, John describes Jesus in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the Word of life, that's Jesus. In Revelation 19, check this out, John, same, same author, the Apostle John, says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Listen. And the name by which he is called is, you know what he's called? The Word of God. Is Jesus' name, the Word of God. So there's this inseparable connection between the, the Word of God and Jesus Christ. And I, honestly, I don't even know how to explain that fully because I can't really wrap my mind all around that. But do you want to know the Word of God? Then look at Jesus. Or do you want to know Jesus? Then look at God's Word. Um, Jesus says, I am the way. That's one of the synonyms we read in, in Psalm 119 for God's word. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth. That's another way, thing we use to talk about God's word. And I am the life, which the psalmist is saying, God, in your word, I find life. Peter says to, to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words, Jesus, your words, you have the words of eternal life. So we know as New Testament believers, that God's word is life because it points us to Jesus, who is life. <coughs> if you want to know who really has life, it's Jesus who perfectly keeps God's word, so to speak, so much that he's called the word of God. And the good news is that we have Though we've rejected God's word and we've incurred death because of that, by submitting ourselves to the word of the gospel, we are revived by the word of Jesus and we have eternal life in him who is the word, who is the life. I know it sounds like a big circle maybe, but this is what I'm gathering. If you ask um, Mary Beth, the last couple of days as I've been studying this, like I have been struggling to to know, to, just to kind of put this teaching together and to kind of know what to say about God's word bringing life and what to gather from the psalm and other places in scripture. And frankly, I, I got wrapped up several times in just kind of a maze of, of, of 
theology and um, just different trails you could go down with this. But um, what I kept coming back to and what I keep seeing in Psalm 119 is that God's word is life. That's kind of the thrust of Psalm 119. And there's, I don't think as I read Psalm 119 that there's a direct walk away from that. Well, like here's exactly specifically what life means. But all I know is if you want life and the fullness of all that that word life means, it's found in his word. One thing I'm clear on in my study, it's that. It will not only preserve your life, maybe, it is the foundation of your life, but it points you to Jesus, who is the life. And if you love Jesus, you really love his word. Um, it gives kind of new understanding or, or, or fresh understanding to John 14, 15, when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, my words. They're kind of, they're almost, they're almost one and the same. Both are the source of, of life. So knowing the word of God, the Bible, we get to know the word of God, the Savior, and in him we find eternal life. God's word is life. So um, Psalm 119, verse 159, I'll just read a couple more of these from that psalm. The psalmist says, Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Verse 37 says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding of those testimonies that I may live. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And on and on we can go in these verses. The psalmist ties together the word, the revelation of God and life. God's word speaks life into existence. It sustains life and provides everything that's needed for life. And God's word, Christ, brings eternal life. God's word is life. So, so what? Um, what's the application of this? I, um, I don't know if this is just me, um, if this is just my own feeling, or if, if my perspective is right. Um, but I feel in some ways, and um, maybe you don't feel this, but I feel in some ways there's a bit of a lull in our church, this specific church, when it comes to life. Like I don't, um, I don't, I don't think that I would describe our church right now as it is full of life. Um, generally speaking, I see life in, in different ways. But to some extent, I see people who are kind of feeling worn out. There are some people that are kind of feeling a lack of hope or a lack of uh, maybe direction or what am I doing? Or there's a, maybe a feeling of just lifelessness. And I even feel that sometimes myself. Um, and here's what I know. I know one place to turn for life. And based on Psalm 119, it's the word of God. God's word is life. And if the psalmist believed that without even knowing this person of Jesus, then how much more should we expect to find life? Because we've, we've seen, we've heard of Jesus, the, the embodiment of, of the word of God. So, one application I'm going to suggest is that you join us as we start next week. Um, in 
what, what we're just calling the Bible Project. Now, you guys, y'all kind of know this, Charles, will give you new information to you, but um, this mainly just involves us ingesting the scriptures, um, which are about Jesus, the Word. Um, and what we're going to read together as we read through the Bible in a year or however long it takes um, is an epic story about Jesus, the one who gives life. And we'll be reading it and meditating on it and watching some videos about it and teaching it and discussing it and living it and obeying it. And I'm just going to make a bet that, um, that we will, as a church, see, it, see and experience um, life to a much greater extent as we are committed to knowing and living the Word of God. And y'all, I'm kind of, in some ways, putting all my, what is it, all my eggs in one basket with um, my hopes here. And there's other ways of letting the Word of Christ dwell in us as a church richly than doing this specific way that we're going to go about it. Um, and even if we decide that we need to do something different and change it up. We're not going to swerve from the Word of God. I don't know where else to go to get life. Um, but what we're kind of setting out to do starting next Wednesday, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in a second here, it's pretty all-encompassing. I'm just asking that everybody in the church as much as possible can join in on this. Um, I'm going to show one more time a video I showed about two months ago that just describes it, and then um, I uh, have a couple of follow-up uh, comments Paul tells the church, let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly. Most of us don't deny the importance of making God's word a central focus in our lives, and not just by learning it, but living it and hopefully loving it. We've all tried different ways to absorb his word and had some success, but probably quite a bit of failure. Let's be honest, the Bible is a massive, perplexing, sometimes boring, sometimes beautiful, ancient piece of literature, and to understand its overall message and how all the pieces fit together and how to correctly apply it is, at times, overwhelming. At NoHo Church, we're up for the task of having God's Word dwell in us richly, because we believe it brings life to our souls. And we understand that this directive isn't meant to be an individual endeavor, but a community commitment. That's why we're going to spend one year together working our way through the Bible. Here's how this is going to work. There's a really cool organization called The Bible Project that's laid out a simple Bible reading plan and created some really helpful summary videos to help us understand how each book of the Bible fits into the whole. There's a corresponding app which simply and beautifully lays out the reading and videos literally day by day and includes a psalm to pray through as well. This will take everyone about 20 minutes every day. A great discipline to develop if you haven't already. Here's the cool thing. If we all commit to this together, we'll share a common conversational connection with everyone in the church because I'm reading what you're reading. So in our 203s and any other context, we have a built-in starting point to share what God is teaching us and how it's affecting our lives. But this endeavor doesn't stop here. Each week during our midweek teaching, a zoom-in passage selected from within the daily readings will be taught in more detail. This won't be a summary of everything we're reading, just a focus on a particular passage 
chosen based on what's most relevant and timely to our specific needs as a church. And we'll be well prepared going into these teachings because the context for these zoom-in passages will already be set in our daily readings. And to top it all off, our weekend fellowship meals will include some group follow-up discussion based on what we learned from the zoom-in passages. This means that as a church, we'll be digesting the Bible in four different spaces, personal daily readings, 203 conversations, midweek teaching, and fellowship meals. Now, this might seem overwhelming, specifically the daily readings. Don't fret. We're not giving grades. If you get more than a few days behind, don't catch up. Just pick up with today's reading. This isn't meant to be a burden or legalistic, but life-giving. And we're doing it together. This is a church-wide commitment to letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly because we believe God's Word brings life to our souls. Join us. So, like I'm asking you all, will you just join us on this endeavor to eat the Word of God? And just remember, without God's Word, we die. God's Word is life. Um, let me pray, and I want to tell you about the next couple of weeks here. God, we acknowledge our dependence on you for everything, including the food that we eat and the air that we breathe and the salvation that's provided for eternal life. Everything is dependent on you. And everything in this plan is is created because you spoke the plan into existence. And so, Lord, would you, um, would you help us just first of all to, to remember that and to be so thankful, to, to give thanks for what we have. Um, and God, uh, we ask that you would help us to be a people who love your word and find life in your word. Um, your word points us to Jesus. We're going to see as we read through it, even throughout the whole Old Testament, there's this constant direction that is pointing to the one who has purchased uh, life for us on the cross in his resurrection. So, um, God, would you, would you help us? Would you give us um, commitment? Would you give us endurance? Would you help us to talk about this a lot, not just with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but would you help us to, to talk about the goodness of the life that we found in you and your word, even to those who don't believe? because they need life, too. And, um, God, would you bless our endeavors in this? I pray, God, that we would be filled with, with life and all, all of what that means here in this life and in the next, uh, because we, we love and walk in your words.